0: Well again, happy Mother's Day to all of you. I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to John, sorry, 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. We decided that we're going to preach through this book of 1 John while Josh is out because we were going to continue with Nehemiah. But Josh insisted that he was really excited to to preach through Nehemiah. And so he asked us to to hold off on that and let him do that when he comes back. And so we're going to do that. And so we're going to preach through this small little letter of 1 John. Just this last week, on Tuesday, uh, typically every Tuesday and Thursday, our kids, Graham and Charlie, have ball games. And it had rained a lot last weekend. And so uh, they were... You know The people up at the field who get the field ready were texting all the coaches, and they were saying on Tuesday morning that, hey, the fields are really wet from all this rain. They, they just don't drain well. Uh, and so even though it's not raining, we're going to have, have to go ahead and cancel tonight's games. So that was a little bit sad, and, and I'm at work uh, Tuesday morning as I get that text, and so I thought, you know, it might be a good night to uh, take the family to a Bats game. That might be fun. And as I get on the BATS website and I'm looking at tickets, it dawned on me that my beloved New York Mets were coming to Cincinnati to play a three-game series against the Reds. And so I thought, hold on. I wasn't going to be able to go to a game because we had baseball on Tuesday and Thursday and Wednesday night's church, and that just wasn't going to work out. So I was kind of disappointed, but, you know, it happens. And then we had this, this opening Tuesday night is now completely open, and so I called Sam, and I said, Sam, this sounds crazy, but what if me and Graham went to Cincinnati tonight to go to the Mets game? She was like, oh, I don't know. What time are you going to get home? The game doesn't start till right before seven o'clock. I mean, it's like a, almost a two-hour drive all the way up there. I mean, he's got school the next day, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Maybe it's crazy. Maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't do it, and so I, had to, I happened to be texting with Josh Green, and I printed out the screenshot here, and here's what he said. I said to him, I said, hey, I just remembered that the Mets are in Cincinnati tonight. And here's what he said, do it. With five exclamation points, he just said, do it. And then, of course, he followed it up, and he said, dad, life passes so fast, do it. And I was reminded, you know, maybe it is a bad idea to keep Graham up until midnight and, you know, make him go to school the next day, but we did it. I took him out of school early. He was so pumped. We drove all the way up to Cincinnati, and when we got there, he wanted to sit in the outfield and catch a home run ball. So we got tickets. We sat in the outfield, and thankfully, even though the Reds won, the Mets hit four home runs that night, but we didn't catch a home run ball, but it was getting towards the end of the game. It was the bottom of the eighth inning, and the, the Mets outfielders, every time they come out in the field, they take a ball, and they warm up for a little bit. And right before the batter was getting ready to hit in the bottom of the eighth inning, the Mets center fielder walks towards us. We're only a couple rows up from the outfield. He looks right at me and Graham, points at us, and throws us the ball. It was incredible. So now I think we may have already lost the ball. I don't know. But we have that memory forever, for the rest of our life, right? It's this awesome memory that he and I will share together. He had been to a Mets game before in Cincinnati, but this is the first time that he and I went together, just just father-son. But I was close to saying, you know what? It's not worth it. Let's not do it because it's too late. You know, it costs all that money, all of that. I needed someone like Josh to tell me, a hey, dad life passes too fast. Do it. I needed that, that affirmation, that reminder that this is worth doing. It is absolutely worth doing. And one of the things that, that John does here in this letter of First John is he is writing so that we will have affirmation about our salvation. It's a big conversation that people have today about how do I know that I'm saved? You've probably talked to people about that. How can I know that I truly am a follower of Jesus? How can I know that I'm following him? Well, John writes to that very extent, the end of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so we know one of John's goals in writing this small little letter is so that we, the readers, would know that we have eternal life John also says something similar in his gospel. So the author here of 1 John is the same one who wrote the gospel of John. And in the gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he also gives kind of his summary reason for why he's writing. And he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life, in his name. And so uh, G.W. Derrickson said uh, in his commentary whereas the Gospel of John is written with an evangelistic purpose, 1 John is penned to provide avenues of assurance whereby a believer can know he has eternal life through the Son. Okay, so he writes the Gospel of John so that we would believe on Jesus, he writes 1 John so that we would know that we have eternal life through that son, through Jesus. Let's read our passage this morning. We're gonna read all of chapter one and the first two verses of chapter two from 1 John. Follow along with me as I read it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is how... John begins this letter. The first thing that I want you to see from the first four verses is that John's proclamation is all about Jesus. His proclamation is all about Jesus. Now notice the way he explains this. Verse one, that which was from the beginning. So you may know by now, if you're familiar with John's gospel, he begins his gospel very much in the same way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John is very much wanting to convey to us that Jesus is from the beginning. He has eternally existed with the Father. That's important to John. It's important to us. He starts his gospel that way. He starts this small little letter that way. That which was from the beginning. Now notice what he says next. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John makes it clear in his gospel That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus when he's saying he is the word of God. He is saying Jesus is the word of God. And so he's concerning the word of life here in this letter. We know he's talking about Jesus. But he says he's from the beginning. But then he describes three of his human senses to describe the fact that Jesus has now become One of us. He has taken on flesh. He has lived and dwelt among us. He said, we've heard him. We've seen him. He repeats that one. He says, we've looked upon him. He says, we've touched him with our hands. This Jesus, the one that he is proclaiming, not only was with the father in eternity past, he has become one of us in putting on flesh. And he's saying, I'm a witness to it. He says, we, we're probably referring to the the other apostles. We all have witnessed it. Verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. Again, that's the third time he says we've seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John wants us to be absolutely crystal clear that we know that Jesus has eternally existed with the Father in eternity past. He has always been with the Father. But now, in these days, he has been manifested to us in a very physical way. Verse three. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So now we get to the heart of what John is doing. He's saying, that which we have seen and heard, we are now proclaiming to you. So that, here's the reason he's proclaiming. You too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John says, Jesus, who was from the beginning, he was made manifest, he became one of us, he put on flesh, just like you and I, and lived among us, we have seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him. There's no debate about that. He said it's him, it's Jesus that we are now proclaiming to you for the reason that by this proclamation you may have fellowship with us, but ultimately that fellowship is with God the Father and with his Son. John wants us to know that fellowship with God is possible for you and for me. I don't think we let that sink in very often. We know all the ways in which we are flawed. All of us are familiar with our own flaws. We know them all too well. And especially when it comes to the conversation about sin and how we are sinful, we know all the things that we have hidden from other people. We don't want other people to know the depths of our depravity and sin, but they're there and they're real and we know it all too well. And knowing that about ourselves... Knowing that about himself, John still says it is possible to have fellowship with the father, to have fellowship with his son. I talked to somebody this, this last week and they told me that their grandfather is struggling because of all the sin in his past. He is struggling to understand how he can be forgiven by God and have a relationship with God because he knows all the baggage, he knows all the sin, he knows all the ways in which he is undeserving of fellowship with God. And he said, I don't really know what to tell him. I don't know how to get across to him that he can be forgiven. And partly because I had been preparing for this this week, I pointed him to this very chapter of Scripture and all the wonderful truths that we're about to read here in just a minute, but we need to understand that fellowship with God is a possibility only through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's important to note as well. But he says, we proclaim him so that you will have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then he says this, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It seems like a really strange sentence. But John is saying, from eternity past, God has existed. He he was made manifest. He put on flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen him. We are witnesses to him. And now John is saying, we are now proclaiming him to others with the goal that the proclamation of Jesus leads to fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with the Father, ultimately leading to eternal joy, right? It's like this sweep from eternity past to eternity future, right? In the beginning, Jesus was there, he was with God. In human history, he was manifest, he became one of us. And now, we are proclaiming him. And as we proclaim him, those who believe and respond can have fellowship with him. And when we have fellowship with him, it leads to eternal joy. Even in Sunday school this morning, this was before I even got into the lesson, Somebody raised their hand and said, I was, I was talking with my dad this last week and he, he was kind of nervous to do it, but he was so excited to share with me that he had an opportunity to share the gospel with some people. And he just wanted to tell somebody. It's incredible. Doesn't that get us so excited when we get to do something? I kind of wanted to use that illustration of going to the baseball game because I, I was so happy that we did it. I was so glad that, that it, it worked out and I wanna share it with people. I've told so many people since then because part of my joy in that moment is sharing it with other people, and it's the same with the gospel. Part of our joy in being forgiven of our sins is being able to tell other people, and so John says, when I proclaim this message, it brings me joy, not just those who hear it. It's incredible, and then we get into the heart of what it is that he is proclaiming, right? We know he's proclaiming Jesus, but what exactly about Jesus is he proclaiming? And that's what we start to see here in verse five. The second point this morning is that the proclamation is that God is light. Look at verse five. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is a very basic explanation of the gospel, is it not? John says, in boiling everything about the gospel and everything about Jesus down, he says, here's here's what Jesus taught us, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, the Bible uses this imagery of light and dark quite a bit, okay? Uh, John Stott, Talking about this said the categories of light and darkness belong to the universal language of religious symbolism They are common to most religions not least to the to the revealed religion of the Bible They are used metaphorically in scriptures in several senses Intellectually light is truth and darkness ignorance or error Morally light is purity and darkness is evil Listen to just a few of these verses. You don't need to turn there, but Proverbs 6, 23 says, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And so it's equating the commandments of God or the teachings of God are a light or a lamp. Psalm uh, 119, verse 105. Maybe you've heard this one before. The word... As a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Again, the words of the Lord are being uh, portrayed as a light or a lamp. But also, Peter, in his uh, small letter, second Peter, says, "We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place." And so he's talking about all of Scripture. It's a light to us. It provides illumination so we can see where we are going. But John himself also uses light a lot. If you go back to John's gospel, you will see that John uses this imagery of light and darkness a lot. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Again, the passage that we just read for our scripture reading, John 3:16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so John, even from the very beginning of his gospel, uses the symbolism of light and darkness. Now, where did he learn this from? Well, a little bit later in John's Gospel, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, verses 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Jesus is referring to himself when talking about the light. Just a few verses later, John 12, 44 to 46, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness." John makes much of light and darkness because Jesus makes much about himself as light. God is light, John says. God is holy. God is pure. God is righteous. God is blameless. God is sinless. God is perfect. God is light. And so, knowing that, John now begins to encourage us to walk in the light. Point three is that we are to walk in the light. Look at verse six. What you'll see here, really in verses six down through chapter two, verse two, there are three things that John points out and says that they are a lie. Okay, And he starts all of them by saying, if we say, Okay, so notice in verse six, if we say, look down at verse eight, if we say, look down at verse 10, if we say, okay, so John is going to highlight three different things that we might say and then tell us that they're wrong, but also give clarification on why they're wrong and, and what is right. So notice what he says first, verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This one I think may be the most common that we are familiar with in our age, our day and age. If we say that we have fellowship with him but yet we walk in darkness. That means we are claiming to be a Christian, we are claiming to be a follower of Jesus, yet we are walking in sin. We are living in sin. We are not repenting of sin. We probably know lots of people who are this way. And our first thought is probably to think of names or faces that come to mind when we, when we hear that. But how many times is that us? In which we say we have fellowship with him, yet we are living in sin. And John says... If this is the case, if you say you have fellowship with him, but yet you walk in darkness, you are lying and you're not practicing the truth. Why? Because God is light. And those who are in him, those who have fellowship with him must also be walking in the light. It is incompatible to walk with God or have fellowship with God or say that we have fellowship with him while also walking in darkness. The two cannot go side by side. They are not compatible. And John is making it abundantly clear if you are living in a way in which you are loving sin and not repenting of sin, you do not have fellowship with the Father. It's a stern warning for all of us. We need to take our sin seriously and not lightly. If we are living in sin, we do not have fellowship. With the Father. But notice what he says after that. He doesn't just leave us there. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. John says, Don't be people who say you have fellowship, but live a sinful life. Rather, If you say you have fellowship, you need to walk in the light as he is in the light. And then he says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't this a beautiful, glorious truth this morning? One that we all need to hear, one that we all need to be reminded of. If we say we have fellowship with him, walk with him, walk in the light, expose our evil deeds, expose your sin, confess it, repent of it. And he says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I believe they even uh, sang it in that, uh, the special during the offering. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? John makes it clear. You cannot have fellowship with God while also living in sin. If you have fellowship with God, you must also be walking with God and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. But then he gets to the next point. Verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this is not so much saying that we're just living in the wrong way, that we're living in sin while saying we have uh, fellowship. This is more so we're saying that we don't sin. There are some religions that will teach that as a Christian, you can achieve a point where you no longer sin. We do not believe that. We reject that. Now, we will be without sin once Jesus returns for us and takes us home to heaven. Then we will be without sin, but not while we're here on this earth, And John is saying, if we say that we have no sin, if you try and convince me that you don't sin or that you never sin, there's nothing that you need to repent of, he says, you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. If I'm trying to say to you all that you can achieve a position in life where you no longer sin, I'm wrong. John would say, I'm deceived. The truth is not in me because the Bible does not teach that. Jesus never taught that. So don't go to that extreme either. Don't believe that you can get to a place where you never sin again in this life. John says, that's just deceptive. Yeah, that's wrong. But notice how he responds. Verse nine, and this is the, the verse that I shared with my friend who's talking about his grandfather. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a verse that needs to be underlined, highlighted, and memorized. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm pretty sure I remember hearing Josh say this many times sin is not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is not repenting of sin. All of us are sinners. Every last one in this room has sinned. Probably even today. Definitely will today at some point. All of us sin. We're all guilty. So John says, if any of us try to say that we have no sin, that's ridiculous. You're deceived. It's not true. But he follows it up by saying, because that's not true, the opposite is true. It means we all do have sin. We all have sin. And then John says, If we confess our sins, have you confessed your sins to God? Have you said what you're guilty of to him? Confessed it to him, asked for forgiveness of them? John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, Not just to forgive us of our sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we need to know. You're never gonna get to a point where you don't sin any longer. But you can always trust in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is absolutely faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's far better than trying to say that we've not sinned or that we don't sin any longer. We need reminders that every time we do sin, every time you end up doing that thing that you know you shouldn't do and that you're trying to convince yourself not to do, but you do it anyway, you need to be reminded that if you confess that, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. I need to hear that every single day. I fall short. I make mistakes. I lose my temper with my children. I say things that are mean or degrading. I I do things that, that tear people down instead of build them up. I'm guilty in all of these ways and I need to be reminded that I'm not striving for perfect sinlessness. I'm striving to sin less but to know that when I do, if I confess it, he is faithful to forgive me of it. But then there's another one he says. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the first one is, right, we say we have fellowship with God. I'm a Christian, absolutely, yep, I do all that, but yet I'm living in sin. John says, that's not it. The the next one he says, if we say or try to claim that we've gotten to a place where we don't sin anymore, John says, nope, you're wrong, you're deceived, that's not true. And then he says, if we say we have not sinned or I've never sinned, he says, look, look what that does. That makes him a liar. That makes God a liar. Why? Because God teaches clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if we try and claim that we have never sinned, that means we're saying God, God's a liar. God doesn't know what he's talking about. God is not right. God is not true. John says, that's not right. All of us have sinned. All of us need to know that that's the reality. But he doesn't leave us there again, right? Starting in verse two, he says, my little children. Notice how endearing that is. How much John loves those who he's proclaiming to. He says, I'm writing these things, so that you may not sin, right? John wants us to live in such a way that we are not sinning all the time. He knows we're going to, and that's why he says the very next statement. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John says, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. The goal of the Christian life is this word that we use, sanctification. It's a big word, but all it really means is to be made into the image of Jesus. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is holy and righteous. And the goal of the Christian life is to be transformed from our old sinful self to the image of Jesus. We will never attain that in this life. We will never attain sinlessness. We will never attain perfection. But we are moving on that trajectory. And as we do, the goal is that we sin less and less. And that's what John is saying. I'm writing so that you may not sin. But he knows that we will. And he says, but if anyone does sin, knowing full well that we do, He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When you sin, you need to know that you have an advocate, one who is standing up for you, one who is going to the Father in your place. This is why we are not down the street at the Catholic Church. We do not believe that we need an individual to go to God on our behalf. Because Jesus is that person. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our advocate who goes to the Father on our behalf. And so we confess our sins to him, and he is our advocate. He is there at the Father's right hand saying, they're covered by my blood. My blood has paid for their sins. says, verse two, he's the propitiation for our sins, that's a big word. It's only found four times in the New Testament. John uses it twice in this small little book. Hebrews uses it one time, and and Paul in Romans uses it one time. It's a big word, but really what it means is to satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus being the propitiation for our, our sins means, by him, by his death on the cross, God's wrath against our sin has been satisfied. God has poured out all of his wrath against us and our sin on Jesus. That's what it means that he is our propitiation for our sins. But then he he ends it with this peculiar way. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world reminds me of what John says in his gospel that we read at the beginning, John three sixteen. Some of y'all know this. Some of y'all noticed that Joshua didn't read it the way it was on the screen. He read it the way he memorized it, probably in the King James, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world, the world that he created, the people that he created. He knew that they're separated from him by sin. And so he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John is proclaiming this so that we will have fellowship with the Father, and with his Son. And John is saying, Jesus, he's the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. As a way of saying, if you are believing in Jesus, if he's the propitiation for your sins, go and tell other people. Go and tell the rest of the world that they too, although they're living in darkness, can come to the light. Because God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And as John says in John chapter 1 verse 5, the light has come into the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Go and proclaim this message of Jesus to the darkness. Go and proclaim That the one who was from eternity past, he came and lived among us. He put on flesh. He dwelt among us. Not only that, he is now being proclaimed. And this proclamation of Jesus about forgiveness of sins through him and him alone is what brings us into fellowship with God. And this fellowship with God leads to joy, not only for those who proclaim, but also for those who receive. And that joy just like the story I shared at the beginning leads us to share with others, doesn't it? The joy that I felt experiencing that ball game with my son, getting that baseball. First time I've ever gotten a baseball at a baseball game, even though it's really not even mine. I wanted to share it. I wanted to tell other people. Y'all, you know, John is saying the same thing. Proclaiming Jesus and forgiveness through his son, through, through Jesus, brings him joy. And that joy should lead us to then go and proclaim for ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this strong word from 1 John. God, we thank you that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That through Jesus, your wrath against our sin is appeased or satisfied. God, help us to know that we are people who sin. And help us to know that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen.